Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, September 17th, and this is your FT News Briefing. WeWork postpones its initial public offering. Donald Trump says he's struck an initial deal on tariff barriers with Japan. Boris Johnson frustrates EU officials at a Brexit meeting in Luxembourg. And Bill Gates says the world is nowhere near hitting the United Nations' sustainable development goals. Plus, the FT's Peter Wells explains how the attack on Saudi Arabia's major crude processing plant over the weekend will affect the global economy. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. WeWork shelved its initial public offering late Monday night in New York after struggling to drum up investor interest in the multi-billion dollar listing. The property group had planned to launch a roadshow marketing the IPO as early as Monday morning and intended to price and list its shares next week. Institutional investors, whose support is crucial to a flotation, gave WeWork's IPO a chilly response. Some raised concerns over the outside sway WeWork co-founder and chief executive Adam Newman has over the company. Plus, WeWork faces increasing operating losses. The company says it's now aiming to complete its offering by the end of the year. The attack on a major Saudi Arabian crude processing facility has created problems on several fronts. The attacks have driven up tensions between the U.S. and Iran, and no one knows for certain when Saudi Arabia will get back up to its normal oil production pace. The FT's Peter Wells has more on what this has meant for markets, U.S. foreign relations, and the global economy. Unsurprisingly, we saw a very big response from the oil market. We had the price of Brent crude, which is the international oil marker, rising as much as 19.5% in intraday trading, which was, at the time, its potentially its biggest one-day rise since the US involved itself in Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. By close, we saw Brent crude up by 14.6%, which, at least for the past 30 years or so, uh, classified it as its biggest one-day move. So some historic moves in the commodities market there. Stocks, uh, we saw the S&P 500 close about 0.3% lower, and energy stocks were up as a sector by more than 3%. Very substantial move for them. Pretty much everything else, though, took a big hit. Who is most likely to be affected by this? Well, there's definitely a lot of concern about the impact on the consumer. They're very sensitive to moves in the oil price. And of course, then we'd have to talk about, you know, businesses that use oil and and fuel a lot in their sort of production, which include things like airlines. I suppose by countries as well, you know, we have this sort of issue about how independent are you in terms of oil production, in which case, you know, the US does very well on the oil independence front. And some Asian countries, though, not so well. Japan, South Korea, for example, big importers of oil. And so they are much more exposed to substantial price movements like we've seen over the past 24 hours. Peter, you mentioned the US. What kind of effect would this have on the United States? The US is quite fortunate in the sense that it has a high level of energy independence. But that doesn't mean that there will be pockets of the economy that won't go 
without feeling an impact. Obviously, at the moment, there is the possibility or the question of whether or not you will see a sticker shock at the petrol pump and you know how that would sort of affect consumer spending. And then there's also the corporate angle in terms of companies that rely on fuel very heavily as their main inputs. And I think probably in that category, we're talking about airlines, which are always seen as some of the most sensitive to oil price movements. And for a lot of them, if they don't hedge their fuel costs, it means that they're either going to have to, they, well, they're basically going to be left to eat higher prices. It's going to eat into their earnings. They're going to chew into their bottom line, or they're going to have to pass that on to the consumer. So that sort of really becomes a thing: is you're going to see lower corporate earnings, or else you will see companies attempt to pass on higher oil prices on the shelves, or you know, when you're buying a ticket at the airport or something. Peter, how long could the effects of this attack impact oil production? So right now we've seen a variety of estimates come out from analysts and Saudi Arabia about how long it might take to bring the production facilities back online. It's ranging from a few weeks to months, and then it's anybody's guess after that how long it takes. Obviously, the quicker that those facilities can be brought back on board, you know, the willingness of other OPEC countries to release their supplies into the market and keep things stable is a good outcome. If it takes longer than that, that's not great. I think the other factor that has to be brought in here as well, does this lead to some sort of military response? We've already seen the White House on Monday saying that they are you know, reasonably sure that Iran is behind the attacks. The question is, what sort of response does that elicit from the US, elicit from Europe? If it leads to military action, is it something that's going to end quickly Or is it something that is going to be more prolonged? And here are the rest of today's headlines. U.S. President Donald Trump says he has reached a, quote, initial deal on tariff barriers with Japan. Mr. Trump made the announcement in a statement to Congress on Monday night, but did not offer details. The deal, which is still being negotiated, would offer U.S. agricultural producers improved access to the Japanese market. Producers have been hit hard by the trade war with China. In return, the U.S. was expected to lower tariffs on some industrial goods. Mr. Trump says that the U.S. and Japan also entered into a, quote, executive agreement on digital trade. But there are some shortcomings. The deal doesn't include a broader agreement on service industries and many manufacturing goods. Plus, it was unclear whether the interim deal addresses the automotive sector, a sore point between the two countries. EU chiefs were visibly frustrated with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson on Monday after Brexit negotiations. There are no concrete proposals for the moment on the table. And I won't give an agreement to ideas. We need written proposals, and the time is ticking. That was Luxembourg Prime Minister Xavier Battelle, positioned next to an empty podium where Mr. Johnson was supposed to stand. But Mr. Johnson abandoned the press conference after his meeting with Mr. Battelle and European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker. At the meeting, Brussels said that the UK Prime Minister offered no fresh Brexit proposals. As for the abandoned press conference, Mr. Johnson's aide said the noisy protests had made it impossible to hold it outdoors. Mr. Johnson had suggested having it indoors instead. But Mr. Battelle's team denied the request, saying there wouldn't have been enough room for all the journalists. 
The scenario underlines the EU's mounting frustration at the gap between Mr. Johnson's claims of progress in the negotiations and the impasse over how to prevent a hard Irish border after Brexit. And Bill Gates says the world is nowhere near hitting the UN Sustainable Development Goals. If you benchmark it at the rate of progress against the goals the world has set, the Sustainable Development Goals, we're nowhere near improving fast enough to reach those goals. FT Moral Money reporter Billy Nauman sat down with Mr. Gates for an interview about the Gates Foundation's annual Goalkeepers Report, which measures progress towards the UN Sustainable Development Goals, like ending poverty, ending hunger, and achieving gender equality. While Mr. Gates said that we're moving at too slow a pace to reach the UN's goals, the billionaire philanthropist is still optimistic. It's actually pretty stunning at both the country and the district level that progress is almost everywhere. We should note, the interview took place before The New Yorker reported that Mr. Gates had donated $2 million to the MIT Media Lab at the behest of convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Mr. Gates' representatives declined multiple requests for a follow-up interview. They did send a statement that rebutted the notion that the two men were further connected. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. And if you want to read more from the FT's interview with Bill Gates, subscribe to our Moral Money email newsletter. Today, we'll be following Israel's second election of the year, as Benjamin Netanyahu makes another run at a fifth term as prime minister. And FedEx, which is considered a bellwether for the U.S. economy, is scheduled to report quarterly earnings. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.